Hello and welcome to World War II Nation podcast with myself, Lawrence Waller, and my colleague, Ross Corbett. In this episode, we look at the second instalment of our conversation from last month with Second World War veteran Bill Betts. We pick up from where we left off in part one by discussing Beverly, the second-hand M4 Sherman tank that he and his other crew members inherited and called home for much of their war. We also find out about the improvised measures that Bill and the rest of his colleagues took to add extra protection to their Sherman. We learn about the Essex Yeomary's time fighting through Holland, crossing the Rhine in their Donald Duck tanks, and also their experience of liberating Kiel, as well as much, much more. first Sherman was knocked out, but not too seriously, but it wasn't usable. So we got another one in second hand. And round a turret, the previous owners put Beverly in, but that deep white. So obviously the previous owner's girlfriend was Beverly. Our tank was pretty rough at the end. We put big logs about that thick all the way alongside, lashed them. So anyone with a bazooka, he fired. He, he had to get through the logs first before getting in. And also we put pieces of uh, tracks on the front of the Sherman, you know, about that thick, so that made it special armour. The, the tank was a mess. At the end of the war, General Montgomery decided to hold a, a victory parade and the Essex Roman would, would participate. So when the, when the Major came round, he said, you can't go in the parade with that tank. It really was a scruffy old thing. All the logs around it and sort of around, around the turret. and uh, It was a working tank, a working tank. Oh, we'd better find something to do, go fishing or something. It's a good idea, sir. So we didn't go into the victory break because they felt that it wasn't, wasn't neat enough. During that period when you obviously came back and served, with yeah. them, when you recovered from your wounds, yeah. joined back up with them, you only ever had two Sherman tanks. One was knocked out and then yeah. you had that one to the end of the war, the Beverly yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, we ended up in Kiel. We were the first troops there, 600 of us. Went past this big barracks and the German was there with his gun that we pulled up. I said, speak English? He said, too right, sir. Australian accent. Where'd you get that accent? Oh, he said, went to live in Australia in 1936. When war started, I thought I'd better go back, give a hand. I said, good, you're the interpreter. I said, first thing, gentleman walking towards the gate. Tell him when he gets here to turn around and go back. No one leaves barracks. Can't do that, sir. He's an admiral. He was an admiral, I said. He's just an ordinary person now. So this chap took attention and, and this German admiral was furious. And I went back and pulled out my revolver, back, turned around and went back. I felt good about that. We thought, well, the war's over. Let's make ourselves comfortable. So we were told, clean the guns in the morning and your tanks. In the afternoons, it's free. We thought, fine. No one, no, not allowed to speak to the Germans. So first thing I did, I went along to the police barracks where they had all the horses. And I said, well... As we are the Essex Yeomanry, and we were a, a horse regiment in the First World War, we also have a horse. So I went in, there's a big German lady, I want to borrow a horse. I said, can you ride? I said, no, I will teach you. She put me on her. After a few trots around, I fell off. She said, ah, you do not know how to ride? I said, no. I said, forget it. Ah, I do not know what to do. I said, doesn't matter. So I go down to the harbour with my friend Ronald. I said, uh, let's go into the yacht club, famous yacht club. There's people sitting there. 
and don't forget we were the only British people to arrive. I said, there's a small yacht outside. Is anyone available to take us out in it? A young German officer stepped forward. He said, I can act as your pilot, sir. Good. So we go out, right out, huge harbour, huge. We've got the sails up. He said, I will take over the tiller now, show you how to do it. I said, fine. So as we're going along, he shouts out, turn about, and he pulled on the tiller. There was a crack, and the whole wood tiller broke. Over he went. All I saw was two legs in the air, and of course, this boat was belting along. And I thought, Christ, and he was all his clothes on, you know, no, no jacket, and uh, he's shouting away. So I started to strip off. All of a sudden, a hooter went, and it was a little fishing boat, German fishing boat, which he shouldn't have been out pointing. We, we do. He's saying, don't worry, we'll pick him up, which they did do. I thank my spouse up there. I was swimming in the middle of Kiel Harbour, trying to pull this German back. Not very good. <laughs> then they told us that we could fraternise. So I, I chatted up with one lady, but she spat at me. Uh, but they, they came round, you know. We were there for six months, and then my number was up. And now go home after five years. That's right, it was five years, which was long enough. One last thing, 1950. And then when the war office arrived, as you are a reservist, please report to Liverpool Station and then on to Thirsk in Suffolk, Norfolk for fortnight's training. So I went along. Don't argue. That's it. Off you go. So I went up to Norfolk for fortnight. And there was about 5,000 chaps in the same boat all getting off the trains. And they were all saying something about Zed training. I'm not, I'm not a Zed reservist. They'd made a mistake, so I had a fortnight's training up there, and I, when they realised I wanted to Zed train, Zed trainers were regular soldiers at the end of the war, told, okay, go home. But they decided, the Russians being a bit dodgy, they called up some chaps, and they called up the reservists, and I, I got called up in error. <laughs> I wasn't very pleased. I bit of a tear away at that age. We did our fortnight's training, Went back to camp and I said, Does anyone tell me where the motor pool is? I said, So and so. I said, Fine. Got together about six chaps and uh, that Friday we drove to London. And I turned up, my wife said, But you're not due here until tomorrow, late tomorrow, Saturday. I said, Couldn't wait for that. I said, <laughs> They didn't, didn't press charges. I got home. I wasn't a very happy bunny. Going back to the war, obviously using your radio set. So I, this is something I was going to say to you because you mentioned the Sherwood Rangers uh, Yeomanry. Yeah. I spoke to uh, Captain David Render about his experience during the war, and he was he was a troop commander with the Sherwood Range Yeomanry. The reason I was going to ask that anyway was leading on to a question: was did your nets ever cross over with the Germans? And you actually, because he said to me, there was one experience where he, they got so close with a German unit they were confronting that the nets actually crossed over, so you could hear the Germans talking, and they actually they were talking with the British. Yes, uh, the only time was really there. I got that close, as I told you, in the garden. We didn't get that close, no. I used to, I used to feel sorry for the infantry. Sometimes we carried them on the back of our tank. Then, then they get off, spread out across the field and go forward. And uh, I used to feel very sorry for them. They used to lose a lot of, lot of men in the infantry, a lot of men. I remember once, just inside Germany, 
someone's decided we put in an, an attack at night and we've taken this village. We were following the infantry and uh, we were shelled. So we, we backed to Sherman a little bit off the main highway. Right just behind was a dead Tommy. We were about to run him over and I shouted out, stop, stop, stop. And he had gone ahead of us and shot and been killed. I thought, oh, that wouldn't be fair. Pitch black. Said, What's wrong? What's wrong? Right? Look behind. Crikey. He nearly ran him over. I always used to feel sorry for the infantry. They, in turn, used to feel sorry for us. They used to put their head inside and said, there's no way you going to be in one of these. <laughs> the, 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 the infantry attitude was this big, wide field. Germans can be shooting at all the rest of them. They won't be shooting at me. You know. I used to feel very sorry for them. What were the sort of code words were you were using on the net? Did Was net discipline quite well retained when you went into action? You were saying, obviously, earlier... There were certain code words and station names you had to use yeah. when you're obviously in contact with people on the net. When you went into action, was this quite well maintained or did it sort of go out the window quite quickly? Not really. No, not really. Once the clutch went on, uh, Beverly, great, stay here. So I said, my baker, need some help, clutch broken. Before you could say knife, some chaps from Remy turned up in the jeep. Come to I said, don't rush things. You know, I, I thought they would be by the side of the road for a couple of days at least. They appeared from nowhere. Where is it? Oh, we'll put that right so it won't take long. Ah, oh, right. Any excuse for, you know, brew up some tea and take life easy. They did it. Changed the clutch on his Sherman in no time. Funny enough, that Sherman was made by Chrysler. All the, all the Chrysler... There's five six-cylinder engines, but the best ones were, were the uh, ones with diesel engines because they didn't catch fire quite so quick. It's amazing how it all comes back. I remember reading, going back to, let's go back to sort of D-Day. Obviously, you landed, was it Jig Green? Jig Green sector on um, Gold Beach near La Hamel. What time did you land on the beach? And you were obviously one of the first men there. 730 when you landed on the beach, what sort of things confronted you? What was around you? Well, uh, it was very, very rough. The three assault battalions went across on this big ship. Then we started to climb down the ropes into the little landing craft assault. I was with the Devons then, and um, down I went the rope. And they knew who I was, the chap with the radio, and he's going to you know, look after us. Or like I'd like them to think they're looking after me, <laughs> and uh, in we went about, about five miles. And I was violently sick. A lot of traps were, so I've just put my head over the side and I looked up, and I could see the shoreline getting closer. And we were told that's where we're landing, no Hamel. Oh yeah, not interested. Put my head back over the sea, vomit into the sea. I'm not, not a good sailor. And suddenly it left, and we were about two hundred yards from the beach. And they said, steer yourself. And uh, down went the board, and only about a foot of water, and start running, get off the beach, which is what I was doing. We were lucky. Poor old Americans had it pretty bad. And um, behind us was um, another battalion coming up, but there were not many of us. And I felt pretty lonely. <laughs> I thought, well, a lot of noise going on at sea, you know, big ships banging away. A young second lieutenant, forward, forward observation bombardment navy. 
he was uh, directing the fire of uh, the big cruiser, but directing the fire further inland, their 14-inch guns. All we, all we could hear was a noise going across. The feeling was, keep going. I was annoyed that I couldn't go any further because when I looked down at my leg, it was quite messy, you know. It was around about five o'clock in the evening, and the American boy said, we're going to take you home now, sir. And I looked up, and he was from an American craft from Omaha, gone around the bend. Pick up any any wounded you can. There's been instructors pick new Brits up. Get on my shoulder. I said, no, no. I said, I, I can walk. No, you can't. Get on my shoulder. <laughs> so he put me on his shoulder, and we walked back to his landing craft with a lid down, walked up, down below, put into a bunk, and uh, on the top, no, bottom bunk, that's right, top bunk, chap had been badly, badly wounded. Of course, he was bleeding a lot onto me. <laughs> People thought I was far worse off than I was. I tried to say, say to him that I'm not all that bad. I said, it's just I can't walk. Be quiet. That was it. And uh, pulled in at Southampton, first wounded, trained waiting for us, and uh, on a stretcher that uh, that day went into a hospital in Rygate. So I was lying on my bed. I said, we'll be operating on you. You'll be the first. I said, no, no need to rush. I said, he over there, and that he, he's far worse than I am. No, 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 I'll go. So off I went, disappeared. I came, came to, and there was the local mayor and a few dignitaries saying hello. Right at the end was a Salvation Army man. He says, there's anything I can get you because I've lost everything. Adjusting my battle dress. I said, yes, if you're coming around again, I said, a razor and a brush, brush, you know, shaving soap. Next day he turned up with that. And I said, you know, you're the only one who asked me was there anything I wanted. All these dignitaries were saying, oh, good show, yeah, good show. Well, you know, went, went on. But he wanted to know how I was. And he could see that I was a bit upset. I couldn't clean up. So I was operated on, not much. And I was trained up to Sheffield. Spent a day there and went into the very famous hospital in Yorkshire. Jimmy's first to go in amongst all the Australian airmen. What's a limey doing amongst us? As I was sorting things out across the channel. Oh, and uh, from there I went back. But what was rather sad, when I was came out of the operating theatre down at Rygate, we were told not you can't talk to anyone. There's a cleaner. I said, Excuse me. I said, Could you do me a big, big favour? What is it, sir? Said, Could you phone my mother, and father, tell them that I'm okay? He did. And the sad thing was. Upset me. Father immediately got on the trade at Victoria, arrived at this nice hospital, ambulances were just leaving. I was in one of those ambulances, going up north. They said, Oh, if your son is in one of those ambulances, afraid he's on his way. So my father said, Well, I, I was wounded in the First World War, and I, my wounds were attended in this hospital. What a coincidence. So um, I was able to get a message to him up in Yorkshire. And I, I got out of there pretty quick. I felt sorry because one airman next to me, he died, the pole, and he was shouting all during the night. His plane had caught fire and come down. Of course, all the bombers were all around York. Nice chap too. But um, 
I hitchhiked most of the way back. I found a regiment in the field in Normandy, and I walked up this field, and there's my major standing there. Ah, bets. You're taking a long time to get here, aren't you? It was rather difficult, sir. They made it, they made it rather difficult, difficult to get to you. And, you know, uh, when I was at home, Neve, my father and mother said, we had a lovely letter from Major Cully saying what a nice person I was. Sorry that uh, I wasn't able to, you know, finish it, what I was doing on D-Day. But we look forward to seeing him as soon as possible. <laughs> because when I turned up, his attitude was, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, honey. And uh, we were very close to regiment, very close. We didn't take our dogs with us, our hounds with us. <laughs> you had a Sten gun. What was that like to use and operate? I had a Sten gun, but I don't know how we got it, but I picked up a German machine gun. Beautiful piece of... I had a Sten gun and a Tommy gun, the American one. And then I had the, the German one. The MP40? So, yeah, so I dumped those two. I also had a Mauser. Tried it out one day, just inside Germany. There was this turkey strutting through a farmyard, and I thought, well, let's see if it works. And bang, turkey disappeared. It works. <laughs> anyway, I, I did write a letter. This is most amusing uh, to my father and mother. Mother never wrote to me, never wrote, always father. I said, things are going well, and uh, I've now amassed quite a few German arms. And um, and mentioned it, that what they were, father knew immediately what they were. And the last letter was, mother says, do be careful with those all those guns you've got. I, it was one, one day when Major came along and said, the whole of the Sherwood Rangers, us, got to line up that woods there, and uh, we're going to put down about 120, 150 fire. There was a truck arrived. Enough loaded round about a hundred rounds by next attempt. So all these tanks passed the sea that side of the woods, and they said um, the infantry will be going into attack, and which is spry forward over the woods, and you've got to use up all the ammunition. Mikey, hell of a lot, you know, over a hundred. Anyway, eleven o'clock come, start firing, bang, fire, put it in, bang, 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 and I said we're not increasing the elevation at all been told not to. There were, you know, there was around about a thousand guns going off. So after a while, I put one in and the breach wouldn't close. It would close automatically as you put it in. So I looked and I said to Ronald, we've got a toolkit, haven't we? Is there a hammer? Yes. I said, go and get it. I said, we're blocked. <laughs> I said, so, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to try and tap that in. So there's it end of the shell sticking out and with the hammer I had to hit around the side not the centre I tapped it tapped it and also went click and it went in I said we've got to stop for a while because it's so hot the, the, the barrel of 75 that um, this would happen again so the major came along and said why aren't you firing I said God, things get clogged up so uh, alright so we let off run about 16 rounds I think and uh, it was quite something you know, the infantry apparently were very pleased with us, but I've never been in a shootout like that before. No. Oh, the other time was we were reputation in Holland had been the best knocker down of church towers. 
because you know when you're approaching a, a village or a village there's a church in the distance you always knew that germans were in it and the first thing we had to do we get the map reference out church sun so five rounds bang and we'd always knock down the church tower and if, if the villagers used to be furious with us so i said well you said you've never experienced this awful thing this war is i said we've been doing this days and days now i said would you rather a german sit up there kill some of our chaps because oh no no you must do what you must do so we used to always knock down the church tower it's sad i know but they were giving instructions and the poor old infantry were suffering and there's one day just got up to the big river Get, couldn't get across. Uh, I said to Captain Cully, I'll go up, there's a church there on, on the, the bank, get across and look across the river. Be careful, he said, be careful. Climb up, nice and quiet. The infantry was down below. I looked across the river and lo and behold, there were about 12 Germans sitting on poles over a large ditch. It was their morning uh, ablution things, you know. I thought, wonderful. This is going to embarrass him no, no ends. <laughs> I had my little pack radar on. I said to Ronald, I think about 10 rounds, map reference, so and so. Why, 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 what have you seen? I said, I'll tell you later. Anyway, 10 rounds. And as they're around it, these poor Germans, the only one place they could go was in the pit. <laughs> and uh, I said, now, let's get out of here. We left that church cell very quickly, of course. Immediately, shells were hitting it. The Germans realised that we were using it for uh, looking. But so we did have some amusing tales, uh, and uh, I think as we were saying, not cricket really. So doing that, you know, should have waited until they've been. <laughs> but uh, uh, that was quite amusing. What was your rank in the army? Oh, I was a gunner. You were gunner. I was put forward uh, officer training. I said no. I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. No, not no. I, I feel happy about what I'm doing. Uh, I had well, well training, and I'm getting lots of commendations. And and it helped me, you know, back say for two months to officer training, and I'm again getting posted posted to a regiment that I wouldn't know. And uh, I said, I'm not in this as a, as a career. I'm with people I know, and I should hope to know them at the end. And, what was the um, name of your other crew members? Trooper Elia, Edie for the driver. Tony was in the driving seat next to him. Tony was the chappy who was, a, I use the expression loosely, a surveyor. He was a chap who would give me the map references to pass on. For instance, if the infantry came up to us and said, there's a lot of angry Germans over there, near, near that windmill, something like that. And I talked to Tony and he'd have his maps, everything, drawings, everything. Yeah, now, I know exactly where you are, map reference so and so, and say, okay, Bill, here's the reference in clear. I've given in clear. And I'll say to Tony, I passed it on Tony. He would do the donkey work of, of saying exactly where they were, you know, he's very good at it. And then there was Ronald with me, as my assistant, and uh, me as four, Captain Cully, Right. So you took over command of the tank I when, when yeah, he when was he wounded. Yeah. I found that a bit dodgy because um, I had to um, 
use some of his equipment, you know, his his map. They made no effort to send someone up to relieve me. So there was only ever the four of you from that yeah. point onwards. And I was attached then, attached to the Sherwood Rangers. So they knew me. Sometimes I come across and give me a drink. I don't, very nice. And then in the end, oh yes, a little story here. Towards the end, a new Sunray will be joining you, in other words, a new officer. Okay, it turns up in the Jeep. Masses of kit, you know, all loading up. Captain Edwards, I saw him, first of all, to his driver, you can't put any of that on the tank because you won't be able to turn the gun. Oh, you won't like that, you know. So, oh, he was a snob. It turned out that he was the Honourable Captain Edwards. He's only with me for about six weeks. When the war finished, you know, we went our ways. Going back to the crossing of the Rhine, I think it was at Operation oh, yes. Plunder, you mentioned the DD tanks, the yeah. duplex drive. <laughs> what was that like? It's scary. We'd got up to the Rhine. Captain Edwards said, pack up your kit. We're going to join another regiment on a temporary basis. So, packed up a kit. So we'd go in a jeep, two jeeps to a very famous Canadian regiment called the Calgary Horse. Lovely, Calgary Horse. Quite famous, man. So we turn up. Oh, yes, we've been expecting you. You, 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 you. We're going to show you all about the DD. Of course, you're going to be crossing the Rhine with us. And you'd have a Canadian driver. So poor old Trooper Ely was told to go back to regiment. So very nice, a Canadian had a little moustache. I'll show you how it works, sir. <laughs> We spent 10 days, exactly, first of all, they gave us uh, escape apparatus of uh, what the fuck, the miners were wore down in the pits, you know, then the life belt, and it's, they will show you now how it works. Then the order came, the British Army are going to attack across, across the Rhine, we're going with them. The infantry were going across in buffaloes, um, not, you know, not tanks. But they wanted tanks across as well. Possibly be rather, uh, shall we say. Did the tanks go first and then the infantry behind? Yeah. So, uh, up, so at six o'clock in the morning, and drive up through the woods, there's the Rhine. So we got the um, tubes filled up with air. Up it went, and Tony took a few photographs, and as he was doing so, they were dropping shells quite a way away, and we thought, oh dear, I hope they don't come too close because shrapnel going going to go down like stone so i put my may west on and, and up we went and on the on the speaker they then had to guide can't remember his name the canadian left right left right we now got to, to the water's edge down we go and we went then he pulled the lever and the propeller took over small propeller about that big and we were just about that much from above the water. The rest of the tank was below. It didn't go straight. It went that way. It was a long, long trip. And the old the propeller was working away. And I was stand, standing on the turret because I wasn't going to sit inside. Because if that went down, it would have gone down, Don't, you know, quickly. And when we got to the other side, we had to climb a fairly steep, muddy bank. So he pulled the levers and all the canvas sides collapsed like a lady's stocking. Did that, 
still wouldn't uh, get a grip up. There's only one thing for it. You know, I talked about we had all these arms. I said to Ronald, throw me the German rifle, machine gun, and that. I'll put them under the tracks and get a grip. You can't sit here like that, you know, a sitting target. And so he, he dashed out through, through it. He put them in and gradually, gradually, gradually pulled them up. So when we got further inland and we thought we made it, make a cup of tea. And that's when, what's his name? Captain, Captain Collie was wounded. He always carried a, whis- a silver whiskey flask, not a silver. When, I, you know, when he was going out, he just handed it to me. <laughs> and and I, I did bring it home, and it lovely. So I, I kept tags of him, but he was badly hurt. But he, he was pleased that we, we got across anyway. And uh, the Germans were very surprised to see tanks, no bridge. Tanks across that great big river. How did they do it? There we were. We do hope you found this interview of interest. Ross and I just wish to say thank you for listening and also a big thank you to Bill for taking the time to speak with us about his experience. Coming up on the World War II Nation podcast, we will be speaking with World War II veteran Captain David Render about his experiences fighting through the Northwest European campaign as a Sherman tank troop commander with one of Britain's elite tank regiments, the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry. If you know somebody, a relative or friend perhaps, who served during the Second World War and is willing to talk with us about their experience, please do feel free to get in contact. You can email us at lawrence at worldwar2nation.com or ross at worldwar2nation.com. Thanks for all your support.